Vancouver Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Ogrizik. Hey, Drew. We have some great events this week. On Monday, Techstarters is hosting their Code Night. There will be mentors at the event. So if you're at a roadblock with your code, you can come to this event and get some help. This is happening at Lighthouse Labs at 6 p.m. On Tuesday, Tech Vancouver is having their monthly meetup. There will be demos and showcases. It's an awesome event to network and learn what's happening in the community. This is at 6 p.m. at Brain Station. On Wednesday, there are two events to choose from. The first is Design Patterns with C Sharp and TypeScript. This is at the BCIT downtown campus and it starts at 5.45. The second event is Creating Strong QA and Development Partnerships. Learn how to build exceptional QA and development teams that work well together. Catch this event at ACL at 5.30 in downtown. I'm Samantha Ming, and that's this week's top events you should check out. And I'm joined today with two special guests, Marie Eager and Manny Eager. Thank you very much for joining us. It's a great pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves? We met, I guess, last week at the... Um, Advanced Digital Innovation Summit. And I was kind of blown away because I thought there was going to be a talk on blockchain and it ended up being, you know, pretty much a blockchain summit. Um, so what, what was your involvement and, uh, what's your background? One of the sponsors for the event, uh, is the Blockchain Association of Canada, of which I'm the chairman. And I've been involved in the scene thanks to mentoring some startups in Vancouver in 2013. Um, when we created this body, which at that time was called the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada, uh, because it was the good old Bitcoin days. Uh, today it's all blockchain. Um, and we felt this event was overdue in Vancouver just to open up the topic of blockchain to the community at large. Can I just ask you, what is the Blockcho- Blockchain Association of Canada? Tell us a little bit about that. It's a Canada-wide membership or community representation, if you wish, at a provincial and federal level, um, giving everybody a voice and a participation opportunity in this big debate around what is blockchain, how do we apply it, um, how to engage with a regulator, how to explain to a banker how this technology could really make a difference on the one side, but also disrupt potentially the ways in which we do business, literally our business models at at the very core, if you apply the decentralist uh, principles. But having said that, um, major players have entered the space, the Microsofts, the IBMs uh, of the world, uh, who are starting to integrate this at enterprise level for a number of benefits and applications that we're starting to see emerge. This definitely looks like the, uh, I got the sense, it finally kind of sunk in, that this is uh, not just Bitcoin uh, or not just a cryptocurrency, but actually a technology um, that may very well be a paradigm shift for uh, for society. Absolutely. It's no coincidence that uh, Satoshi's white paper, which launched the Bitcoin blockchain platform, was written in 2008 at a time when there was 
quite a seismic shift going on in the financial world. Um, people's financial wealth and access to financial services existentially being threatened. So uh, I think people were pretty much fired up by the time Bitcoin came around, uh, around the opportunity to access and control your own destiny uh, around your financial means and, and how you own it, how you distribute it, who you give it to, who you receive it from. So uh, that was maybe a bit of the discordant note at the time around how Bitcoin could liberate us from the so-called banks and, and, and the large uh, controlling uh, central banks and financial institutions. But things have moved on from there. It has evolved. Um, we're very proud in Vancouver to have been party to the very first Bitcoin ATM in the world, which was one of our early uh, projects, both Marie and, and mine. Um, and then, last but not least, one of the leading blockchain platforms in the world was actually invented in Canada called Ethereum out of Toronto. Um, and it still is a hotbed to this day of innovation and people learning how to code, literally, and starting to apply this technology in a, in a number of ways. Very exciting times. Uh, Marie, how about you? Because I was actually, um, I was really impressed with a lot that you had to say. And uh, it kind of opened my eyes uh, a bit to where we're going with some of this technology. So tell us a bit about, about yourself and your involvement with blockchain. So I'm always really interested. I've got a bit of a rebel streak in me. And so I'm always really interested in what is happening on the edge, all the new things. And uh, so I was really fortunate to um, encounter Bitcoin at that time in Vancouver. Um, and the community let me in with my, you know, I was working for a consulting firm at that stage. Um, and when I saw the presentations that they made, I realized that this could significantly change things. It's just such an efficient way of um, interacting. You don't need big auditors. You don't need all these costs associated with it. And I love the idea that I could really just engage um, and have a transaction with someone across the world. I can travel. It just gave such freedom to people. And so... Um, one of the things I did at that stage was I was invited to a presentation to Deloitte. I was working there at the time um, around um, the Innovation Council, and I was uh, doing my usual thing. Um, I presented Bitcoin to them as an opportunity, and uh, at that stage, it was uh, rather unheard of of doing that. <laughs> uh, so, and it was really interesting because they, some of them, really understood um, once you know once you present something to a community in a way that in a language that they can re relate to, um, you know, people really listen. And so they really took away this and they started really investigating with a lot more of an open mind. And so for me, this is really important. And where I sort of like to focus is how do we um, explain this technology and the opportunities to people in a way that they sort of oh, wow, this is really interesting. Let me engage and let me maybe go and tinker with the technology and maybe start shifting what you talked about earlier on, the paradigm. Um, and what I talked about when I started moderating the event is that um, you know, everyone talks about leadership and the people side, and I'm really passionate about that um, because of, you know, a new form of way, a way that we gain to have leadership in our community, a new way of organizing, a new way of governance. And... Um, you know, I, I sort of beat the drum there all the time around 
how we need to have that integrity, how we need to and, and have those ethics in ourselves because there are these new role models coming up. And I like to do work where I support those role models, where I'm able to sort of highlight, you know, who they are, what they bring to the community, and that it's possible to actually have distributed leadership in organizations and have a new way of governing ourselves. Which seems particularly relevant with um, with the changes that have been happening with society brought on through uh, the wide adoption of the internet and the World Wide Web, the uh, current reality that working remotely in many jobs is uh, maybe even cheaper for companies because now they don't have to worry about physical locations. We have several success stories there. Uh, how does how does that tie in to blockchain and distributed leadership? What does what does blockchain sort of change or bring to the table? In regards to this? Well, I think one of the things that um, is really possible now is that because of things like smart contracts, we can actually have compliance. Um, we can now actually make decisions, financial decisions. So this is always the challenge in traditional organizations. At the end of the day, who makes a decision around the budget? It's going to be a small group of people at an executive and board level. What blockchain technologies do and what... Um, that will enable us for us to make financial decisions in a distributed way. That's real power. Um, that is real governance, um, where we are able to tap into creating value for ourselves. So, um, you know, if we think about how many people out there are struggling to get a job, everyone talks about the gig economy. Um, people talk about, you know, unbanked people. But that's not what it's about. It's about people actually feeling like they are contributing to the economy and a real economy that's for them and it works for them as well. So what's the sort of adoption of some of this uh, this technology and what are some of the barriers to get through, whether that be for government or banks or the average person on the street? We like to use the analogy of what you've just referred to, the, the, the internet age and how that gave people access. What the blockchain technology allows us to do is for people to now also to value exchange, to interact remotely from wherever they are located. So it has tremendous implications for inclusivity, really bringing people who maybe had access before, maybe had a mobile phone, maybe had internet access to actually transact, to exchange value, to co-create value, and to engage with platforms, financial services, and, and, and government, citizen services, in a way they never could before. It's a two-way street, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, in the sense that you can now directly challenge or access or verify information uh, of your given to you by your government, by your bank, by any organization you're participating with at an unheard uh, level of transparency that we've never had before. Now, to some people, uh, to a dictator of a country, that might be a threat or, or any average government for that matter. But on the other side of the coin, if you want to run a decentralized organization, business, uh, investment opportunity like the ICOs, which are flavor of the month, initial coin offerings or token generated events, um, we suddenly see a whole new uh, dynamic entering the space that, for instance, Ethereum brought us smart contracts where you we've just come from a meeting with some lawyers who got all excited in terms of how they saw the blockchain play out in their space, that you could literally start having legal 
uh, agreements and settle disputes and, 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 and have people contract with each other through these smart contracts remotely or at a local level that has never been able to be done before. For instance, an, 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 a key feature of, of a blockchain, private or public, is that you can timestamp and record immutably a transaction or a certain event. Now, that's very, very important in terms of not only avoiding fraud, but consumer protection, uh, running an audit trail on any interaction or event over any period of time. So you can immediately understand the enterprise level application of this, but also for the individual how they can engage safely and with protection and transparency and with uh, good governance uh, at a global and local level at the same time. Maybe we should define some of the terms that we're using uh, for some of our listeners. I know the past uh, couple of weeks, at least in in my situation, I've been very interested in this and and kind of reading a lot uh, and having kind of rolling up my sleeves and and doing some coding, not so much on blockchain, but actually just... uh, smart contracts and things like that, uh, which is actually surprisingly very easy to get into. But uh, but what exactly is blockchain? We said private blockchain and public blockchain. Um, what is the difference there? I mean, would we still... Uh, one thing I'd, I'd like to ask there is, it's my understanding at least, that uh, one thing about blockchain is consensus and that people contributing... Uh, either as miners or as nodes in the blockchain uh, are part of that consensus. And you've got to have a majority consensus. So what happens in the case of a private blockchain? But maybe we can define the terms first and then jump into that. Sure. The um, very basic principle of the blockchain is that it is able to use this consensus mechanism through what we what is termed the Byzantine general's problem. And very simply, what it, uh, how it works is that at least two out of three people, if there's three parties in a room, need to agree on a fact, and that then becomes the truth. And that's simply how any transaction or any um, exchange is verified on the blockchain. But even more powerfully, it's encrypted. So it's stored in an encrypted fashion, so it can't be tampered with, so it becomes immutable, and it's time-stamped sequentially. So you can't go back and alter something because it would completely corrupt the block, the blocks that follow in the chain, which is how the term blockchain arose. So once you understand this principle and that you can lock facts or events or activities or whatever we agree through our consensus in time forever on whatever blockchain um, you'll understand that this mechanism could be applied in many ways in many circumstances. The difference between a public blockchain and a private blockchain is private blockchain, all the actors are known. For instance, if you have banks and you have corresponding banks around the world, all those parties are known, therefore trusted, and that's typically how a private blockchain operates. In a public blockchain, the actors are unknown. For instance, the way in which a Bitcoin transaction is validated today are through miners who do proof of work, uh, on on solving a mathematical problem through an algorithm on computers around the world, literally via the internet and through other means of connectivity. Um, and we don't know who's clearing your transaction wherever they might be on the internet, but it gets cleared. They don't need to know who you are either for the transaction to be validated, confirmed and approved. Now, how hard would it be 
to fake majority consensus? You can't fake it, but you can obviously pull consensus, if you wish. And that has been um, the vulnerability of the DAO. For those who are not familiar with the term, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, which famously got hacked through a recursive uh, algorithm, uh, which literally created a kind of loop in the system, which they didn't prevent uh, in time, um, and then literally skewed the, the consensus mechanism towards a certain actor that siphoned the money uh, off, the, off the platform. That has been fixed since then. But has, obviously, has it been fixed? So I, I read an interesting blog post today, I think it was published today, uh, that was kind of claiming that it hasn't been fixed. They've added maybe uh, documentation or, or something, but uh, not the core ability to do that on the Ethereum VM. Sure. Uh, and as you might be aware, Ethereum is coming with another fork called Metropolis, which is going to make it more scalable and enterprise-ready. Um, and again, this is new technology. I think let's not forget Ethereum is only 18 to 24 months old. It's a brand, brand new technology. Um, as Vitalik Buterin, our famous Torontonian who invented with others, uh, Ethereum blockchain still dubs it to this day an experiment. Um, I think maybe we're demanding more from it too quickly than, than, than we might like to admit in public sometimes. But it's all open source. But so it is can... open source, so it needs to be fixed. And I think they've got a great team of people working 24-7 on fixing these bugs as they go along, which is not unusual for any software uh, platform development. As you know, Bitcoin itself is struggling to reach agreement around consensus in terms of how it gets mined, the block size, and so forth. So we've we've opened this this uh, genie or let the genie out of the bottle of consensus um, through an algorithm, but at the same time, well, there's also a human factor which we need to consider vested interests. The miners, for instance, in the case of blockchain, have uh, Bitcoin has a vested interest in uh, solution A, B, or C. Um, in terms of Ethereum, and one could say that because Ethereum is a Turing-complete uh, solution, unlike the Bitcoin blockchain, it creates attack vectors and more vulnerabilities, but it gives more utility. So as this evolves and gets fleshed out and, and remedied, hopefully over time, it, we will see a more secure platform emerge, ultimately, or, or an alternative. Maybe hardened implementations. Well, that's very much. If you look at, for instance, the implementation of Ethereum inside Microsoft, I think they call it Project uh, Bletchley, and I think the latest version is called Project Coco. Um, they literally strengthen and, and, and um, solidify it, if you speak. Uh, around their um, uh, process, business processes and systems that they've put in place to prevent this exact uh, risk that you're referring to. So I had kind of envisioned uh, a while ago the possibility of codifying decision-making and uh, no longer really needing government or what I like to call you know too much process, process just getting in the way and process on top of process, and rather having open open-sourced decision-making that people could contribute to, perhaps we vote on it, something like that. Does does blockchain actually help us or move us in this direction? And I guess the other question there is, does that then mean that 
in order to contribute to modern society and government and leadership, we all have to be coders? That is such a good question because I'm not a coder. Um, and so um, I'm probably one of those voices that, you know, are the non-technical. And I always talk about the people side of this and the fact that you are coding thinking into an algorithm. Um, and this is what a lot of these solutions and even some of these uh, white papers that you're reading are all talking about. This is something that a lot of them are trying to crack that code of how we're going to create decision making in a different way. Um, and some of them talk about, you know, it's how much you've invested. And there's a lot of these debates going on. Um, it's, you know, who has, a, it's like the old, it's almost like we're going back into philosophy of democracy um, around who, who can vote <laughs> and how much weight does their vote have. Um, so I, one of the things that I'm really interested in, in, in the space is um, how do we achieve deep democracy? So one of the challenges we have is, and this is what we saw with the DAO and with a lot of the projects, I think, is that we still think that the old idea of voting, like everyone votes and then everyone will be happy. But the moment when you've got a minority, someone lost. And so I think what people are trying to really um, deal with with the algorithms is how do you deal with a minority vote? How do you deal with people who could not vote for a project or who felt excluded from a process. Um, so um, if you look at, for example, um, smart contracts, what are you going to code in there in terms of that decision-making and that governance? Um, I don't think anyone has really cracked it. Um, one of the things that really attracted me about Dash um, when they started is that they started looking at that mechanism and then also started acknowledging non-coders and the contribution they make in growing the um, the ecosystem by putting some of the reward into non-technical um, aspects of, for example, if there's, there has to be money for HR or for marketing and so on. So there's some really interesting models that one can look at and see what they are busy doing. Um, but I, I really think that when, even when you see projects blowing up, that's usually because of not being able to understand how we're going to create decision-making mechanisms. So it's still evolving. Organization, and I think especially, I'm, I'm not sure if that's true, but I, I have a sense that especially within uh, technology companies, uh, organization, leadership, uh, distribution of work are really hard problems to solve and to solve well. I don't know what percent, but it's quite high of, of projects that fail, uh, don't meet deadlines, run over budget. Um, is this effectively a way of solving that or do we still have all of these problems and do they exist? I'm sure they already exist in other organizations. Is this a way that leads us toward uh, towards solving some of these problems? Again, it depends on how these mechanisms evolve. And I think we uh, are used to doing things in, in a certain way, depending on our culture and, and, and where we're exposed to democracy in the, in, in the true sense of the word, before we even start going de distributed or decentralized. Because as we've seen with, with many of these furious debates around hard forks and and scaling and uh, coders law, which is which is a favorite uh, term used from from the coding community side, is who has all the facts. People can ch change their minds after new facts have been revealed, and therefore change their vote. Um, and and who has access to that information at any point in time? The core group, or the group who's influenced by the core group, and so on and so forth. So we're literally at the end of the day not just dealing with code that is law, 
but also human dynamics that have vested interests that can influence outcomes. And as we know about lies, lies, statistics and damn lies, um, what you codify um, could uh, be a codified truth or untruth up front. And we're going to have to live with that if that's what we all, all agreed on up front. Or, through consensus, keep altering it as we go along. Now, I think what the, the blockchain and the way decentralization is emerging is that we have a mechanism through which we can dynamically rectify or change or redirect our efforts in real time, um, but record our decisions on the blockchain as we move forward, either for reference purposes or to lock decisions at any point in time. How that evolves in a society, in a community, on a team, or on a, on a person-to-person interaction remains to be seen. It's still early, early days. We've, we've now lived through, in the recent few weeks, where we had a kind of freefall in a country called China uh, for uh, people doing ICOs and exchanging Bitcoin um, throughout their society or investing in it, and suddenly there's a clampdown where the society at large have decided this is too much of a good thing and we want to steer this in a different direction. That is always the, the so-called systemic risk. Uh, in their case, they perceive this as an existential threat to their financial system and, and, and the way they do business. So I think those facts will keep conflicting or headbutting each other as we go forward and this technology evolves. But the one thing that is certain is we have a tool here that we've never had before to control and manage information in new and very, very different and dynamic ways. And to add what Manny said, um, one of the things that I really encourage people who are non-coders to do is to step up into this space. Um, the human dynamics, if you're into social anthropology, if you're an artist, if you're an expert in team coaching, if you are a person who really understands psychology, this is a time to really start engaging in the community because now we can code those ideas and there are really people doing wonderful work that are not on blockchain yet in creating more cooperative ways of working. So I recently saw a blockchain and they were based on cooperation. So not about consensus, but actually cooperation. So people are starting to play with this. And um, I'm really often a bit worried that because people think the technology is so looks so complicated and they see all these diagrams and you know a lot of technical terms that there's no space. I think it's time to really stand up and say, hey, you know, we can make contribution, we can write papers, we can create things for you and engage in the community. So we've got a pretty good, I think, definition on the table now of blockchain, um, and it's still evolving, and we'll, we'll get more familiar with it, uh, I think, as, as a society and as people over time. Uh, what about cryptocurrency? What is cryptocurrency, and how does that, how is that different from what we consider normal currency or cash? Well, what we see with cryptocurrency and specifically with the invention of of Bitcoin is that for the first time we have a mechanism to tokenize an asset or a value or a service or a good or or just a, a means of exchange between you and me. And the reality of that is that you can exchange it in real time to anywhere in the world as long as you have access through a mobile device or through an internet or whatever the case might be. So a cryptocurrency gives us the tools and the means to make this seamless, frictionless, inexpensive, 
in micro currency amounts that we've simply never been able to do before. A great example is, and I think just to step back from these grand challenges issues, which I think people made some big assumptions in the beginning that blockchain is going to solve the world's uh, hunger and, and climate change and all of that. No, I think it's going to very practically uh, be implemented in ways that it could make a significant difference and we're going to grow from there. And uh, entertainment and independent artists starting to record their assets on, on, on the internet and securing it via a blockchain and a smart contract and get paid for use in real time without a middleman, without having to go through the large um, royalty charging organizations might see a seismic shift in the way in which we transact and exchange entertainment, information, communication, our personal data and information with each other, digital identity, and how we manage that on the blockchain is emerging as a as a very interesting property and, and application of blockchain. And I think that's where we're going to see the real changes incrementally over time. We've talked about, I guess, some different use cases for blockchain. But what exactly is cryptocurrency? Well, again, cryptocurrency, to come back to Bitcoin, is a cryptographic representation of a value. And I don't think we want to get into what a hash is and how it gets mined or produced. But at the end of the day, there's a little algorithm or a piece of code, a private and or a public key that represents a value. In the case of uh, Bitcoin, it's a SHA SHA-256 function um, that represents one Bitcoin. Its fiat value in US dollar as we speak sits at 3,600. And what that's determines, the, what determines that value? That's a good question because in the last few weeks we've had people say this is, this is worse than tulip mania. There's absolutely no foundation to the value. Um, it's just something that, that whoever is, is cooking up uh, out there as we speak. But the same could be said for the US dollar or, or the Canadian, Canadian dollar. Duty. What, what uh, actually determines the value of the Canadian dollar and how can we trust it? I was thinking of this today. Um, can we trust that our government won't print more money? Absolutely not. Exactly. So we don't have to be gold or silver bugs to understand that if there's no asset backing a representation of an asset, it's literally out there in the, in the world free floating. So it's whatever value we decide to give it. And the current value that we have for Bitcoin is obviously speculative. People feel that it might have a future value. Therefore, they're buying Bitcoin today in the hope of an, of a return on the investment sometime in the future. So it's become a store of value on the one side. It's also liquid in the sense that, uh, and we don't have to quote the Cyprus and the Greek and whatever bank run where the governments literally locked down people's assets and they couldn't even access their own bank accounts at an ATM or even enter a bank to withdraw their money. With Bitcoin, the money is yours. It's in your pocket and you can do with it whatever you like. And as scary as that might sound to a regulator or a banker, that's the physical property of a Bitcoin. I believe that gives it value. The fact that it can be exchanged and that it could be um, transported anywhere in the world where I can buy goods or provide a service and get paid for it in real time today gives it value. Other people have used the example of Bitcoin as being mined. 
buy miners on computers who put in have to buy electricity and equipment to make this happen uh similar to whoever needs to buy the paper to print our our US or Canadian dollar there's some effort that went into it that gives it some value how we value it in 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 day to day terms depends on its utility so right now bitcoin has tremendous utility which i think gives it in, gives it incredible value uh where it'll end what will determine its end value or end state one day remains to be seen uh as can be said for the dollar the oil price the gold price and anything else of of uh, that's worthy of exchange out there i know uh, for sure during my travels i've used american dollars in non-american countries to get on a bus for example where mm-hmm. i've had it accepted that would not be true with a canadian dollar it would not be accepted on that same bus whereas maybe bitcoin would i don't know probably not yet but there may be buses that accept it or potentially yes um we already have credit and debit cards underwritten by mastercard visa and 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 other service providers where you actually have bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency as a store of value um linked to this card that you can use to pay for a service anywhere on the planet well so are anywhere. they acting as an exchange and supporting that with a fiat currency for a, a transfer fee it's used as a store of value it's used for exchange uh it could be used for payment processing settlement uh and and transaction process it can use as we use as a form of verification so it's 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 going to end up with multiple uses by the time all of this is done and without a middleman and without necessarily having or needing a bank account very anything to add to uh the topic of what is cryptocurrency well i think the one thing that um that i like or that i think is interesting about the properties of cryptocurrencies um is that you can give it a particular intention So that is uh, there was a time when we had lots and lots of currencies floating around until it became centralized. So so this is not a new thing actually in the history of of humanity. Um so for example, um there was a time when we had a currency where um it was like the the store of value was grain. So what would happen is you can imagine you want people to use that currency very quickly because grain starts going off over time. So that is a very different property of that currency vis-a-vis one we actually don't want people to spend it because you want the value to go up. And this is what is interesting about all these different cryptocurrencies is that you can start creating a different intention and you can create a different type of economic activity. Now it is really interesting for people who are into economics that they, you know we talk about supply chain and how you use money um by the governments and central you know and the central issuers to stimulate the economy or to achieve certain things cryptocurrencies can really do very interesting things because they have that diversity okay i think we have established a pretty good sense so far of blockchain and cryptocurrency what about ico what is an ico ico was a term that uh, was coined literally initial coin offering at the end of the day we prefer to use the uh, token generated event uh, term because a coin harps back to bitcoin which is the cryptocurrency application of a token a token at the end of the day could also just be a utility uh, a just a value exchange between people or groups of people it could be a loyalty point um or reward on on so it can take on multiple forms uh it could be a usage coin or token uh i provide computer storage for which i get rewarded with a token which could be redeemed for a financial value uh or just be exchanged 
for another service or good. Or ice cream. Or ice cream. So suddenly it takes on yet again another dynamic beyond just the financial value and exchange uh, at the end of the day. So ICOs, because it has has all these properties, the token component of it has spawned a whole new industry and new way of raising capital and funding the development of your venture or new activity or rewarding people uh, or providing access to an application, uh, again, good or service, to the extent that where the market capitalization of cryptocurrencies peaked at $179 billion, not an insignificant amount, is provide ready capital in this pool of ICOs or token-generated events to spur a whole new raft of, of ventures, applications, developments, and further experimentation of what the blockchain can do in enterprise, in a social context, culturally, uh, as a reward system, and even rewarding your citizens for voting or for uh, using a service or saving on uh, their how they get rid of their refuse and so on and so forth. And, and new forms of applications and reward are going to emerge as we go forward with this. What are some interesting or, or cool applications of blockchain or, or token generation events uh, that we've seen, whether locally or internationally? Well, I think um, this is something that a lot of folks might not know about, but Impact Coin um, just had there. It was really a re- fell within the regulations in Canada. Um, in crowdsourcing and what I like about what they did is that they would have a token and they're busy creating an ecosystem to encourage B Corps in other words really local co-ops who are into organic food and protecting the environment and helping the community develop and so what they did with their race is then to create this blockchain that's going to enable us with this local currency so that is just one very simple way of how they can contribute to the real economy so it's actually going to create jobs and opportunities for people locally in the interest of time I also really wanted to talk about a lot of other things. What organizations uh, do we have locally if I want to get involved in blockchain or if I want to learn more about it? You mentioned before the Blockchain Association of Canada. What else do we have? Well, in BC, where we we live at the moment, we have uh, UBC, who's uh, initiated their own blockchain research um, project. Um, which is gaining tremendous traction, um, providing research services and facilities to the student community and across all their departments. Uh, we've run a blockathon. We've had the first summer school for blockchain in Canada um, at UBC, where we have students from engineering, from economics, from finance, from statistics, uh, librarians, um and so forth, participating in how blockchain can make a difference and be applied in their respective environments. And that's been a great resource and inspiration for for us to also progress the first research that was done in Canada into the blockchain funded by the local stakeholder community and government, uh, which now is, is, is termed the BC Blockchain Forum, where we're looking at the public-private sector engagement around blockchain applications and for the public good. So this was something, uh, Marie, you'd mentioned at the ADI Summit, and I immediately saw there's a huge connection between that and, of course, Civic Tech YVR, and we've got to do something together. And in fact, you said, sure, we're doing something 
When? October 16th. October 16th. Yes, uh, we have it on the meetup, so folks can just uh, register there, just become a member, and then just register, um, or just contact us as well um, and find out more about it. It's for free. <laughs> um, and um, it's going to be, a, um, we're going to have very interesting speakers. We're busy lining up um, things, people that we think will be interesting for folks to listen to. Um, and I don't know if there's another Shout out you want for another no, no, place, and I yeah. think the, the, the very topics that we've been discussing around ICOs, the regulatory implications, how that landscape is evolving, how we can apply these technologies in at government level, um, in, in society, for social good, and of course for practical applications like tokenizing loyalty points for Uber type, uh, for drive, Uber drivers or Uber passengers or for real estate uh, reward systems for both uh, renters and rentees. Um, it just doesn't end there. There's, we, we've even tested applications in the health sector already at UBC using Fitbit devices where people get rewarded for reporting an illness well in advance so that can be treated and doesn't become a burden to the health system are the type of things that are evolving in the space. So these are the topics we'd like to to, to get onto a panel we'd like for people to discuss and for the community at large to engage around. There's definitely a, a thriving and growing community in and around blockchain. We have Startup Week coming up, uh, and there's a kickoff with uh, Blockchain UBC, also running an event on Friday the 29th, I believe, from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Correct. Uh, and I'm definitely going to be at that. It's going to be awesome. We've got the event coming up on October 16th, where I've also been telling people who are interested in um, the Civic Tech YVR that they can give lightning talks and we can see how, you know, if, if they have a problem or something, a, an interesting thing that kind of is at the intersection of, uh, of community and government and maybe the private industry, but can we somehow solve this and potentially use blockchain to do so? I think that might be very interesting. And then there's a, a hackathon, another hackathon coming up at the end of October. More news to come on that. But uh, I, I think maybe we'll just kind of wrap it up uh, here. But I wanted to give you both a big thank you for being on this episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It was lovely to talk to you. And I'm really keen to hear what happens with all those uh, events. Well, I hope you'll be at most of them, or well, all of them. Well, thank you again for the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. And very important for everybody to understand is this is a technology, it's all about learning by doing. So please come, please listen, please engage. The only way to learn is to go and buy a Bitcoin, to write some code and, and, and see how this works. And, and we believe people will be hooked from that point onwards. I really think so too. And I mean, once it, once it sort of sunk in, wow, I can't believe it. This is what I want to do all the time. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, helping to build out that community with you guys. Great stuff. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.